Please take your seats. Morning, everyone. As ever, it's a great privilege to be with you and to open up the Bible where you had my instructions and information. So we're in the middle of a, a series on the acronym GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, we haven't got it anywhere. And uh, we're at letter C. And my subject is courage. So, um, brace yourselves. <laughs> um, very intrigued in Ruth's reading of Psalm 27 this morning. Many elements that as in her passion she read that passage to us. The, the strength and the power of the word is, is very relevant to what I want to say to you this morning. I guess we, we, we need to lay some clearer foundations as we can and, and as such, ask the, the pertinent question, what is courage? Because every one of us will have some idea, some perception of what courage is. And there's very much um, a human perspective, a personal perspective, but our mandate this morning is, is much more clear and direct, it is to focus on what the Word of God says courage is. What does it look like and how do we, we get it? I was watching the, uh, the Rugby International yesterday afternoon and on the uh, electronic advertising, it, it flashed up uh, a message and the message was, become a hero. Become a hero. Um, the camera moved away before I could focus on how I became a hero and, and what product they were trying to sell me. Um, but become a hero. And, uh, and, and for me, that kind of resonated something that, that first stimulated itself in me uh, as a boy. Um, I, I, the dream, the, the attraction of, of being a hero. Um, I, you know, I, I was born, born in the late 40s, so my upbringing was in the, <coughs> in the 1950s. I was an only child. Um, we, we had no gizmos in those days. Um, uh, and and, and, and my, my focus all of a sudden was books. And I remember my first fascination in books. It was Biggles. <laughs> and... Uh, and I read every one of the Biggles. Now, for many of you, you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. Uh, but Biggles was, was, was the, the, the hero of a series of novels written by a, a, a Captain W.E. Johns. And, um, and, Big, and Biggles, Biggles always got through. He was, a, he was a fighter pilot, a detective, and, um, and, and I became Biggles. I read those books, and uh, it never occurred to me that I would lose. Um, in those simple days, it, it, the, these books had clear definitions. Uh, the handsome guys were goodies, and the baddies were ugly. Uh, I, and it was all very clearly defined in a naive, simplistic way of looking at life. But, but I became Biggles. I, I wanted to be that kind of hero. The bubble was burst 
massively, at many times, but 20 or so years later, as a young man, relatively newly married, I can't remember how far, but we were married, and, uh, and Pauline and I were going into work one morning and driving down Carlton Hill and, and got caught in, in a bit of a traffic jam, slow-moving traffic. And I just observed that to my left on the pavement, I saw this strapping big man knocking seven bells out of a woman policeman. And I stopped the car, and, and literally what happened was I stopped the car, jumped out the car, grabbed hold of this guy by the neck, pulled him, wrestled him. I was a fit young man in those days. Pulled him to the ground. And then I remember specifically two things that happened to me. One was a thought, and the second was a comment. The thought was, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing? And, and the first words that came out of my mouth as passers-by were, were kind of gaping at uh, 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 this. I mean, I was a fit young lad, but hanging on for grim death to this strapping man while the police officer got herself into shape, my first words were, don't just stand there, help me! <laughs> and uh, by the grace of God, the, the squad the squaddies turned up and, and uh, the man was arrested. And, and whether it's a little bit of ego or pride, I, I, I got a letter from the chief constable thanking me for my actions. And I've, 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 never, I've never got rid of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. Because the point, there's a point to be made. <laughs> there's a point to be made. The considered conclusion that what I did was that my actions were rash. They were impulsive. They were emotional. They were stupid. They were thoughtless. And, and, and in the calmness, you say, that was not courage. It was impulse, it was instinct, which, whatever we might think about that in temperament, it's just partly my, my kind of temperament. But it wasn't courage in the way that we understand what courage really is. Uh, because I'm not advocating that we go out every day and charge for Jesus and hijack every spiritual criminal and mug them in Jesus' name and think we're doing God a service. Because some of us are gassy enough to do it and the majority of us are too frightened to do it. So what does courage in the word of God really mean? There are many phrases relating to courage in the scriptures, and far too many to, to focus on today. But, uh, but I want to bring out two phrases uh, uh, that, that occur, one in the Old Testament and, 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 a, and a parallel that's in the New Testament. The, often, the, the, New Test, the Old Testament often quotes this phrase, be strong and courageous. God said it to all the patriarchs. You find it very specifically to Moses and to Joshua. And, and, and the caveat here is that <coughs> courage can only occur when there's strength. And the injunction is be strong. 
And the language, the language that is being used here is, is be strong in the Lord. Be strong in your relationship with God. The consequence of that strength in Lord. The courage here implies that courage is not the first action, but actually is a consequence of being intimate and strong in the Lord. The, the same thought carries on into the New Testament, where there are many phrases, but, but, but the promise of Jesus to the disciples that they would need courage, and the subsequent narrative that happens in the book of Acts is that courage came upon them on the basis of their new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Are you getting what I'm saying? Is that courage in the Bible is not seen in isolation. It's not seen on, in terms of gender. It's not seen in terms of experience. It's not seen in terms of personality. But it's seen in terms of a relationship with a higher being. He says, be strong in the Lord. The context is that in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this, this, this rings with, with our English use of the word courage. Uh, the, the, this word courage actually doesn't come from, from Greek uh, it, or Hebrew. It comes from Latin. And, and, and the first words are, are give us a bit of a clue. Uh, it, it, although we spell courage C-O-U-R, um, the, the, the original early English language was C-O-R. And C-O-R from Latin means to do with issues to do with the heart. Coronary. Coronial. It's to do with the heart. And he said is that courage is an issue of the heart that is received. Be of good heart. Be of a good... Have a disposition that is positive... How? Because of a relationship. And that is the determined view of what courage is. Let me take you to the book of Exodus. And uh, I'm going to read to you uh, just a short passage from, from the journey of the children of Israel. They had cried out to the Lord. They find themselves in the land of Goshen. They were under the the, the, the bondage of the, the Egyptians and the Pharaoh had, had used them as slaves to build these cities. And, uh, and Moses turns up and the plagues had happened. And there was, there was huge trouble and context. And ultimately, the Passover comes and, and the people of Israel are liberated and they're let go. And, and they come to the edge of the Red Sea and... Is, and Pharaoh has changed his mind and is now coming back after the Israelites. Verse 10 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses... Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I find it a, a, a blisteringly honest little bit of narrative. I'm not speaking as a preacher now, I'm speaking as a human being. That I can relate to what's happening here, big time. And I suspect that you are just the same. And, and, and in it, there are observations that we can learn if we are so willing. Number one, the environment in which courage shows itself is trouble. It's trouble. You don't need courage when you're not in distress. <coughs> you don't need courage when you're comfortable. You don't need courage when the sun is shining and you've got the weekend off. Courage manifests itself in trouble. And, and, and the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament say, be courageous. So he's saying to the people, God's people, be ready for trouble. This doesn't ring true with the sentimental, rose-coloured specks form of Christianity. Come to Jesus and he'll take away all your problems. I reject that kind of gospel. Come to Jesus and he will deal with your sins. Come to Jesus and he'll give you a purpose for living. Come to Jesus and start an adventure for life. But don't come to Jesus if you don't want trouble. And at that moment, there is a resistance in Christians that are starting the journey. And frankly, there's a resistance in Christians that have been going on the journey for years and years and years. And it includes me and it includes you. In spite of being an impulsive twit that jumps out of his car and gets hold of men who are wrestling with... I am not a hero. I would rather live a life without trouble. But the reality is, is that God says the environment in which courage manifests itself is distressed. The reactive question. Can I avoid it? Some yes, but is trouble part of the journey, part of the adventure of our Christian lives? The answer is no, you can't avoid it. That's the environment. And uh, that's the first probing question of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to face adversity for your faith? Because if you're not, then this conversation about courage has got nothing to do with you. You'll live the passive life. I might add, it won't stop trouble coming. That's the reality. The second thing that I see is that the source of courage, where courage begins, is intimacy. Moses speaks to the people in their panic cry, and says, don't be afraid, 
stand firm, stand firm in the Lord. But the Israelites in this dialogue had betrayed themselves. They betrayed what goes off in you and goes off in me. It's succinctly put in these words. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, to, was it, you know, life was easier without the adventure of following Christ, of following God. Baba, we were, and life in Egypt was terrible. But in the context of their fear, they saw Egypt as better. The secular world, the living to please self, the, the, the humdrum of life without any purpose was seen to be better than the challenge of following Christ in the adventure of faith. And they said to him, leave us alone. Leave me alone. We live in a, a PC world. We live in a world of philosophical pressure. And one of the great notions of the culture that we live in is that we can do and you can do whatever you like, but don't invade my personal space. Personal space is something that is honoured, that is respected, that is elevated, a part of our sophisticated humanity, that somehow or other, people can do what you like. I can get on with you, but don't you tread on my personal space. What do we mean by this? Well, it's defined by relationships. So, for instance, if I got into dialogue with some of you that I've never met before, I don't know, uh, and the likelihood is the conversation would go, hello, my name's so-and-so, and what's your name, and we'd, you know, how did you come to the... And, and there's a polite exchange of information. It's the beginning of a relationship, but, 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 but it's, it's got its level because the relationship is not strong enough, so there is an appropriate level of dialogue. But I've got relationships that are a bit different to that in this church. I meet Stephen once a month. He comes and sits in my, my home and we, we drink coffee together. And, and, and he's not only a working colleague, but he's a friend of 25, 26 years. And, and we do stuff together and there is a level of intimacy, there is a level of openness that allows me and allows him into our mutual personal space. But there's still limits. There is the certain questions that I don't ask, and he doesn't ask, because it's his business and not mine. But it's, it's more than an acquaintance relationship. I'm, I'm closer to him. But I've also got another relationship with a woman who I've been married to for 50 years. It's so close that dialogue isn't needed. I knows what she's thinking before she says it. And, she th and, and I do, and, I, and she knows what I'm thinking. She, we know what we're like. Words are, are, are still commonplace in our marriage, but there is a closeness, there's an intimacy where 
and yes, there is a privacy in our humanity that, that but, but our personal space really doesn't exist. I'm always happy to have her around. You see, the, there's an elephant in the room of your life. There's an elephant in the room of my life. And that is, how much space are you giving to the Holy Spirit? How much space do you give to the Lord? I can give God all the space he wants on a Sunday morning and sing the songs of heaven. I can give God a little bit more space and occasionally read the Bible. I can give God some space and say, I'll give some time to prayer. I'll give God space and do the right thing and put some money into the offering. And, and, and all to all concerned, outside of, of, of my inner self, I'm being a good Christian. But I need my personal space. There's times when the Holy Spirit comes and I say to him, leave me alone. And so do you. So do you. We all do. And the, the hot cry of God help is conditional to that degree that you and I say, Lord, don't leave me alone. Uncomfortable though it is, I open up everything my anger, my hurt, my fears, my prejudice, my doubt, and say, come in. I find David, the psalmist, Psalm 139, it's a bit like Psalm 27, you want to read it all, um, but we're not, we're not reading it all. But it's a psalm of intimacy. And, and, and he, he, he starts off he, he starts off and says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And then he, he talks about the saving presence of God. And then he talks about the creation God. You have created me. You know my innermost being. It's a lovely psalm. Uh, and and, and uh, I'm wonderful in fifth, and all that stuff. And then he ends the psalm with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. He, he's saying to God, Lord, in the, in the path that you've chosen for me, in the, in the distress that I've got as a king leader, the journey that I've gone with my covenant God, where I've, I've messed up so many times and troubles come as I've messed up, that even in the trouble that my enemies... God, I'm not, I'm not running away from you. I'm not doing the sinful thing. I'm not hiding from your presence as Adam and Eve did when sin came upon their lives. But he says, I want to revert back to that original relationship. God, will you not help me, but God, will you know me? That God, I give away my personal space. But Lord, I'm a preacher. Lord, I've got a reputation. Lord, I don't want my wife to know some of the things that I think. Lord, I, there's so much that, that I'm ashamed of. There's so much that, that really, really, is it necessary that you know this? And, he, and David says, search me and know me. 
And friends, that's the elephant in our lives. That we can have all kinds of spirituality, we can have all kinds of notions, we can have all kinds of behavior and do it. But the real test is, do you want the Holy Spirit to come that close? Because he says this, see if there is any anxious thing within me. You see, the searching of God is to bring courage. The searching of God is to bring assurance. The searching of God is to bring wholeness. The scrutiny of God is not to condemn me, but to restore me. And the number of times that I've done it, and it's a lifelong journey. It doesn't, doesn't happen once in our lives. It happens daily. And the number of times I've I felt the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes subliminally, sometimes very powerfully. I remember one time many years ago that I told God how fed up I was with my life and fed up of the hypocrisy and fed up of being a platform Christian but not really entering through into all the breakthroughs that I believed the Bible said I could have. And I, and, I, and I went on a bit of a rant with the Holy Spirit, telling God how bad I was. And, and subliminally, the prayer was, Lord, will you know me? And, and after I'd finished, the Holy Spirit said to me, have you done? And I said, yes, Lord. So let me tell you something. You're worse than you think. And then he said, did you not know that I knew that before I loved you? Knew that before I died for you? Knew that before I called you? that I have made you righteous and an amazing sense of well-being. And that's a buzzword, wellness, that the, 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 the chattering classes want to talk to us about. And wellness coming from self-indulgence. And, and wellness comes from God. It is well with my soul. And it comes from his scrutiny that the source of true courage comes from intimacy. And then we get the reward. I've already alluded to it. Of course, the narrative goes on in Exodus. And the, and, and the breath of God comes and the waters of the Red Sea are opened and they pass through. And what Moses promises becomes the truth. The enemies you see today, you will never see again. And of course, the waters close and, and, and the Egyptians are destroyed and it's interesting in the narrative of the children of Israel that though they backslid dozens of times they never were afflicted by the Egyptians again because God fulfilled his promise and Psalm Exodus 15 brings us into my last observation that the, re the reward of courage is confidence Moses stood firm. Moses was courageous. Moses let God examine him. And, and, and chapter 15 is the celebration after the victory. Uh, and time doesn't allow me to, to read it. But it says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. 
for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the street. See, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is the one of the Lord's name. We hear him away. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you need to get the shackles off. It's totally appropriate to have an emotional response to the salvation of God. We, 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 I know most of us have come from a kind of British route and, and, and some of our different nationality, their friends and their, their culture need to help us Brits. But, but we need to get excited now and again. We, 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 need, we, need, we need a bit of ecstasy. We need a bit of euphoria. We need to get out of ourselves. It permitted. The world outside doesn't, doesn't understand it. It lampoons us as Christians for being so vibrantly happy. They call us the happy clappies. And, and it's sarcastic that, you know, there's some kind of emotional crutch. Well, I've got a crutch, all right. It's called the Holy Spirit. I lean on him every day. But the reality is he has transformed my life. And there's an emotional response to being saved that says, Oh God, I'm so glad I'm saved. And that's one of the purposes of a Sunday morning worship is that we do that. We are allowed those feelings of intense excitement and happiness. But we've got to understand they're more than emotional. There's something deeply spiritual that happens when we celebrate the goodness of God. I told Jill there'd be a football anecdote somewhere. You see, May 2022, I was at Wembley. And, and Forrest won the playoff final. We got promoted into the Premier League. And the game was rubbish. But the end was unforgettable. The sense of jubilation, the 40,000 Forest supporters. Now, those of you that don't like football, you just don't get it. But I, I, you've got to understand, go, go with me. I was ecstatic. I'd been following my football club for 60 years and have been rubbish most of the time. And, and to get it, there was a sense of joy, there was a sense of jubilation that absolutely took those 40,000. And I, we sailed home. Didn't help me yesterday. <laughs> it was real, I can remember it, I look back on it fondly, but it has no relevance to the challenges that I face as a follower of God. And if our Sunday morning responses are merely emotional, they will have no benefit on Wednesday afternoon when the lid comes off. But if we understand the power of spiritual worship, that within the joy, within the ecstasy, of spirit-led worship leaders that encourage us into the presence of God, we recognize that something deep is being deposited in us. It's called faith. And this faith operates not in the Sunday morning. I don't need any faith to worship Jesus with you, Lord. You all love Jesus. It's no, it's no test. It's no challenge. It's a joy to do it. But 
Wednesday afternoon, when the sky falls in, the memory of Sunday morning is no good for me. But the deposit of faith, of the word of God, of the presence of the Holy Spirit, comes into me. I will be strong in the Lord. And the psalmist gets it. He says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It doesn't mean I get strength when I'm joyful. It means that the joy of the Lord puts strength into me when courage is required, when I am in distress. For God is with me. We know that. But do we really believe that God is for us? To the extent that, no, we don't welcome distress. But when the challenges come, we don't panic. Because we know it's the opportunity for courage to develop. That in our openness, in our devotional life, in our prayer life, that we recognize the source of courage is to come close to the Holy Spirit. And actually allow him to break into our personal space. I'm come closer than an acquaintance. Closer than a Sunday morning friend. Closer than a Bible reading episode. But enters right into the very essence of our being. And then courage starts to develop and its reward is supernatural confidence that is beyond our temperament, but it is that word that says it is well with my soul. Be strong. Be courageous. Challenging? Yeah. Exciting? Yeah. Will it transform your life? Yes. Will it make us better people to reach the mission of Clifton and beyond? Yes. Is it worth it to get to know Jesus better? Yes. Will we get a reward in heaven? And rule the nations? Yes. Is it the reason why God put me on the planet? Yes. Is it better than football? Yes. Is it better than life itself? Yes, it is. It's worth it. The journey of Holy Ghost courage. God bless.